welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Amen. Praise God. Numbers chapter 17, beginning at verse number two. Amen. Number 17 and verse two, speak unto the children of Israel and take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay upon them in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel whereby they murmur against you. Verse number eight. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. And everybody say, that was a trip. Amen. Can you imagine walking in and seeing a stick the night before and coming in and it's blossoming and budding and there's fruit. Amen. But that's the kind of God we serve. He can make dead things live. Amen. And uh, I want to try tonight, I was successful last night, hopefully I will be tonight to conclude our series, amen, on branches connected to, reconnected to the vine. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we're so grateful for our opportunity to serve you and to worship you. We are once again, Lord, hungry for more of you, to be like you, to know you. Lord, I pray that you would open our understanding through wisdom only given by your spirit. The same revelation that came to Simon Peter. Let that spirit open our understanding tonight that we may walk more before you circumspectly and uprightly. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Amen. You can be seated. The tabernacle of the wilderness... Now, is also called the, the oracle. Now, for the last several weeks, we spoke on, and uh, just to kind of briefly bring you up to speed and not to really uh, go over it again and again, but we talked about the importance of God's people being a chosen people and that God's people have always been a separate people. And God has always called his people unto holiness. God is all, he is a holy God. Amen. And, and so that he calls us out from the world and unto himself to be separate or unlike the world and to be like him. Amen. And so we talked about how important that it was for God's people to reflect his will and his desire in us by having holiness in our life, both without and within. Amen. And, and so tonight, I want to move us into that other dimension, if you would, 
of the branches that are reconnected to the vine. Now, we heard in our text in, in, uh, where he begins to talk about the tabernacle of witness in Numbers or the tabernacle of the testimony, the tabernacle of witness. It is also called the oracle. In 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 20, it says, And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. Now, I am not a, um, the greatest carpenter in the world or the greatest mathematician in the world, but I think if you have 20 cubits long and 20 cubits wide and 20 cubits high, you come up with a cube-shaped room, perfectly square. And that's what the tabernacle of the witness or the oracle was. Now, I'm going to draw some parallels tonight. My, my mission tonight is to reach back to this and grab and loop through God's design for the church and pull it through the book of Revelations and sense this thing up into the modern dimension of the church, dispensation of the church to where we are today. Amen. Because now we understand that this tabernacle in which Aaron's rod that budded and blossomed and bloomed was laid in the oracle or the, the, the tabernacle of witness. It was in a cubed shape room. Now we go to Revelations chapter 21 and verse number 16. And John the Revelator writes and says, and the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal so now we see that the city of God New Jerusalem is also reflected in the city that is perfectly squared four squared height width depth amen and length it is 1500 miles high 1500 miles wide and 1500 miles long. Anybody that tries to convince you that this book we that we hold holy to us as the word of God was written by just a few people that just dreamed up this little weird thing that we so primitively cling to that it was all manufactured by a few men. Amen. They have to be willfully ignorant of how beautiful and preserved the word of God was because thousands of years before John the revelator would see the holy city New Jerusalem coming down that it was perfectly 1500 miles high 1500 miles wide 1500 miles long it was a cubed shape a man in that great reflection of the holy of holies or the oracle or the tabernacle of the witness or the testimony amen amen this city that we are talking about New Jerusalem I'm going to be moving a little quick tonight so um if you're taking notes, right quick, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move right through this. Amen. Now we see the new Jerusalem. It is a city four square whose builder and maker is God. This city was not built by man's hand. This city didn't need OSHA approvement. Amen. He, God built this his own self. Amen. And it's perfectly square. Next time somebody says, don't be a square, say, I'm going to live in the square for all of eternity. Amen. I'm going to live in a perfect square for all of eternity. Now, now this city 
has a throne in it, and it's not just any throne, but it is the throne of God that is in the city of Revelations. Revelations 22 and 1 through 2 says, and he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb in the midst of the uh, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Did you get that? Amen. So in this city that is four square, there is a throne in it. Amen. And from this throne comes a river of life. Everybody say the river of life. Amen. Now watch this. The, the Bible says that the leaves of these trees were for the healing thereof. Amen. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Amen. From that one throne, from the only throne that is God's throne, flows the river, a river of life. The trees are watered by the river of life. Just like resurrecting life came from the Ark of the Covenant and resurrected Aaron's rod that budded with fruit and blossoms, so does this river in that square place. Does it bring life, everlasting life to the trees planted by the rivers of water? Amen. The same Spirit of God that was in the cube-shaped room of the tabernacle wilderness. It's the same Spirit of God that will dwell with us in all of eternity. From the throne of God would flow the water, the river of living water. Can you say amen? Praise God. Just as there was one dead rod that came to life from a power coming from the Ark of the Covenant, now there were many trees that are made alive by a river coming from the throne of God. The picture in Revelations chapter 22 is a perfect picture of what we read in Acts chapter 2 and verses 32 through 33. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Amen. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Shed forth. Everybody say, shed forth. Shed forth in the Greek in the original text is water language. It's talking about water. Amen. When he says he had shed forth this. He had shed forth this. He is talking about a river. He is talking about waters. Amen. You have the Son of God raised to the right hand of God which is the throne of God. And let me pause here to say this does not affirm a false doctrine of, of, of multi-deities or a tritheistic deity that there is uh, three persons of the Godhead, that there is a God the Father and a God the Son and a God the Holy Ghost and the Trinitarian formula that was birthed um, uh, through uh, Greek philosophies given by uh, Socrates and Aristotle and the different philosophers who say they got the idea of the Trinity from demons from hell. Uh, we don't believe in the Trinity because because they don't come out of the Bible. We, we believe it, the word Trinity ain't even in the Bible. The word triune's not in the Bible. Three persons in the Godhead is not in the Bible. But what we do find in the Bible is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is 
one Lord. Amen. What we also find in the word of God is that Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at Jesus. Amen. The Bible says, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Paul wrote in Hebrews and said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know who the Father is, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. For no man cometh unto the Father except by Jesus. We understand that when God reveals to us in Scripture that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, it is not talking about a smaller seat to the right hand of God the Father's throne. What he means is that God, that Jesus Christ, whom he said in the book of of Luke in the resurrection, when he said, all power is given unto me both in heaven and in earth. We understand that in biblical language it is understood the right hand is the place of authority and the place of power. So Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of, hallelujah, at the right hand of the, Jesus Christ is seated in the place of authority. Amen. For whosoever committed sin is a slave to sin. Amen. But the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And if the son shall therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. I have been set free by the right hand of God. I have been liberated by the power of God, by the Son of God. And because he has made me free, I am free indeed. Amen. Brother Chase, come woe nailing me a little bit. I'm trying to slow down, but Amen. You think preaching uh, six times in five days, I'd be a little wore out. And I am. My, my throat's about gone. Amen. But I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. We know what we're talking about when we say that there is one God. We know what we talk about when we preach about the name of Jesus and and being baptized in water in the name of Jesus and not by a Trinitarian formula of the respective and revealed relationship of God to man through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost because we know wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow every tongue confess we understand we're not confused by that Amen. We don't say that boastfully. We don't have all truth. Amen. No one person could have all truth. But I do believe we have the truth that has been revealed to mankind. Amen. And that Jesus, Jesus is the eternal God in the form of the flesh. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Amen. So you have the Son of God raised to the right hand of God, which is the throne of God. And Revelation shows the throne of God and the Lamb shedding forth, amen, a river of life. What is that river? It's the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. John chapter 7 and verses 37 through 39. John 7 and 37 through 39. I apologize, uh, Brother Mansell, I didn't get you these scriptures ahead of time. Amen. But that's that's Lightning McMansell back there. Amen. In the last days, the great 
day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So that water could not flow, Brother Clifton, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But somewhere between when the angel pushed away the stone and Jesus said, Mama, don't touch me. And then he shows up walking through walls and he tells Thomas, touch me. Somewhere between the don't touch me and the touch me, Jesus ascended up into the dimensions of the eternal and he took his own blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat of the everlasting covenant of God, therefore fulfilling his role as our eternal sacrifice, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, and just because he's God like that, he offered his blood as a sacrifice, brother God, he jumped to the other side, became my high priest, and accepted his own blood from my sin, descended to the earth and said, now my spirit can live in you. And you'll abide in me and I'll abide in you. And that's the kind of body we're going to have when we get to heaven. We're going to have a resurrected body. For we are, hallelujah, we shall not all sleep. But we that are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet them in the air at the last trump of God. When Jesus stretches that long, lean Galilean leg over the back of a steaming white stallion and the crack of his whip billows out like that of 10,000 cannons and he rides back to the earth and presses a trumpet to his lips so loud that the dead are gonna come popping up out of their graves. Then we shall be called up to meet him in the air and this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption and so shall we forever be like him. Hallelujah. I'm trying to trying to get through this. I'm trying to slow down, but we're going to go to a place, amen, where there ain't no more hurting. There ain't no more dying. There's no more cancer. There's no more infections. There's no more disease. There's no more sickness. Matter of fact, amen, you'll live in perfect perfection. You can walk through walls. You can walk on water. You can fly. You can be just like Jesus is. There'll be no more parting. There'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more sorrow. You'll never know what it's like to shed another tear because you will live in perfect communion with the everlasting God in the everlasting city that is built for square with a river that flows from the throne of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John the Revelator gets a picture of this in Revelations 22 and 17 and he prophetically begins to echo what Jesus said in the text that I just read to you when Jesus says through John the Revelator and the Spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. 
Isn't it beautiful how God just weaves all of this together? It wasn't a coincidence. It's been in, it's been in the design of God since before this spinning rock began to float in space. It was in the design of God. The power that came from the Ark of the Covenant and resurrected the rod of Aaron was the power of God's spirit. Amen. Last time I taught, we talked and, uh, and we said that the rod of Levi, as it were, represents the dedicated child of God that through holiness attaches themselves to Christ, that he or she brings forth blossoms and fruit. And again, Numbers 17 and 18 said, it came to pass on the moral that Moses went into the tabernacle witness and beheld the rod of Aaron. The house of Levi was budded, brought forth buds and blossomed or bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. I need you to hold on to what I just read to you in Numbers 17 and 18 because now go with me back into the book of Revelations chapter 10, uh, chapter 1 and verses 10 through 13. Revelations 1 and 10 through 13 for John the Revelator says, I was in the spirit spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a voice as of a great trumpet saying I am Alpha and Omega the first and the last and what thou seest write in a book amen and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and unto uh, or in Asia unto Ephesus unto Smyrna unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea let me pause here amen if, if Jesus was back right now amen if he was speaking to John the Revelator right now about the North American church I think he be writing some letters right now. Amen. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the seven candlesticks. One, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Notice something about the seven golden candlesticks. It's not coincidental because now that I have you in Revelations, please jump with me back to the book of Exodus chapter 25 beginning at verse 31 because what God does, God does not just well, he does it with perfection. And Exodus 25 and 31 says, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work, the candlestick shall the candlestick be made, his shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knobs, his flowers shall be the same, and six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick on one side, three branches of the candlestick on the other side, three bowls made like unto almonds. Like unto Almonds, hallelujah, with a knob and a flower uh, in one branch and three bowls made like almonds on the other branch with a knob of flour, amen. So in the sixth branch, that is come out of the candlestick. What did we read in number 17 and eight? We read that from the rod of Aaron blossomed, amen. It blossomed, it blossomed out and there was almonds in there and God had already foreseen that 
God and said, and when you make a golden candlestick that goes into the tabernacle, I want it to look like almonds and I want it to look like the flowers that are on the almond branch because I'm going to go back and I'm going to use that resurrecting power that I put into a dead stick to bring forth blossoms and fruit. I'm going to put power into that. Amen. I want you to notice with me if you would that the candlestick had seven stems on it. Three on each side. That's six and the seventh was the largest in the middle. Seven represents the number of God and six represents the number of man. Six was on either side but Brother Chase right in the middle was the seventh and even John the Revelator said I behold let the seventh the one in the middle look like the son of God. Amen with power and glory and dominion in all the earth. The gold represents the purity of God. The gold represents the purity of the presence of God. The flame represents the light and the fire of the Holy Ghost. The candlestick showed branches exactly as the rod of Levi miraculously manifested buds, blossoms, and fruit all at the same time. A branch that resurrected is associated, amen, with the seven branched candlesticks in the book of Revelations chapter number one. It was the same tree, an almond tree. Jesus called himself a seed that would multiply if it would fall into the ground and die. I said, Jesus said he would be a seed if he would just but fall into the ground and die. And Jesus is in the midst of the seven the candlesticks in the book of Revelation, that lets me know that I must keep Jesus at the center of everything that I do. And if you understood the flow of all in the lampstand, you would understand that the oil didn't flow from the outside in. It flowed from the inside out so that the source, the supply, the ability to have a light only flows from the source that is in the middle. That is the seventh. That is Christ himself. That through his spirit, the oil of the anointing of God, the fire of the Holy Ghost, the only way we can let God's word be a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path is if we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. Don't worry. Amen. Jesus was in the midst of revelations in the, in the candlestick. He is the vine, he said, and we are the branches. Revelations 1 and 20. Amen. John the Revelator looked up and he behold and he began to write with prophetic utterance as he put quill to parchment. And the Holy Ghost was upon him on the Lord's day as the Spirit of God came upon him and he began to prophesy. And he said, I, he said, the mystery, I saw the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven golden, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. The angels are clearly understood to be the pastors or, or the directors 
director, the leader of that church. And the candlestick is that that represents the church. So the churches are shown, listen to this, amen, the churches are shown to be the seven golden candlesticks that we read about in Exodus and Numbers that were beaten in pure gold and that were fashioned out of almond blossoms and, and in the shape of almonds. The churches were shown to be the almonds branching with buds that had flowers and almonds just like the rod of Aaron but on the ends of them was the flame of fire which represented the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't be a part of a church that didn't have the fire of the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, I think that I am biblically correct, theologically accurate, homiletically secure when I say that if a church doesn't have the fire of the Holy Ghost, it's not God's church. And I don't care how big their buildings are. I don't care how nice their choir robes are. It doesn't matter if they got more people. It doesn't, what God's church has to have is the purity of the Holy Ghost and the fire of the Spirit and the oil of the anointing in it. He is the vine. We are the branches. Aaron was proved to be the high priest. Amen. He was proved to be the high priest by that miracle. Jesus, by an even greater miracle, is become our high priest. So if the branches that are the churches have the same buds, flowers, and almonds that Aaron's rod has, and Aaron's rod represents Jesus, we see that the church is supposed to be like Jesus. Revelation says the tree of life was on both sides of the river. The tree of life was on both sides. It had fruit and that there was healing in its leaves. Do you have any leaves in your walk with God that can heal people? Do your words heal or do they wound because if they wound and don't heal, then your fruit is not of Christ. For the eternal fruit that is born in the life of a child of God should bring healing. This same picture is seen in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47. In verse number 12. It's seen, but there are many trees in Ezekiel. For Ezekiel 47 and 12 says, by, And by the river upon the bank thereof on this side... And on that side shall grow trees, uh, shall grow all trees for meat. Now, it doesn't mean, uh, mean meat in the sense, uh, Sister Angelica, as carne. Amen. It's not that kind of meat. I wish, it, wouldn't you love to have a bacon tree or, or a filet mignon tree or a ribeye tree or a pork chop tree? Amen. But the meat is, is the edible protein mineral sustenance for life that grows off of it. And Ezekiel 47, 12 says, shall grow all trees for meat whose leaf shall not fade. Neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. And it shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because the waters they issue out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. The eternal tree of life brings forth leaves for healing. 
the prophetical trees that represented the church in the book of Ezekiel should also be for medicine. Amen. The fruit is to bring life giving sustenance. The trees are to bring leaves for healing. Now, I know we spent a little time swimming in the shallow end, but put on your flippers. We're going deeper tonight. <laughs> Revelation says out of the tree of life was on both sides. Since it is speaking of a kind of tree, it is speaking of many trees and, and diverse fruits. Kind of like Paul talks about diverse works, diverse Tongue, amen. It, it, very diverse. It's not just one simple fruit, amen, but it is many fruit. And we who are born again believers should have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Many people, because it is likened that people are trees. Even a blind man can see people as trees. It is multiplied into many Christians and living by the Holy Ghost, living by the power and the nurturing sustenance of that life-giving flow of the rivers of God, the waters of God, the rivers flowing of the Holy Ghost. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He that is thirst, let him come and drink of the waters of everlasting life. It is the same waters that should sustain us as believers. Amen. Just as trees are planted by the waters. As a matter of fact, I can almost see, amen. Listen, if you would, you tune in your spirit is already reaching somewhere else because prophetically David began to pen a psalm that would prophetically speak of this in the inaugural psalm of the book of Psalms when he says blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in this law doth he meditate both day and night for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit and his season. His leaf shall also not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I gotta ask us a question every once in a while. If there's no fruit on the tree, where are we planted and where are we standing and where are we sitting and what are we beside? Because if we've got the river flowing in our life, if we've rooted ourselves by the flow of the Holy Ghost that David prophesied, it would be a prophetic thing that there would be fruit that would come out of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His son would write this in Proverbs chapter 11 and 30. And he would say, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Are people finding death on you? Or are they finding life on me? Because righteousness is not indicated by how much you talk in tongues. And righteousness is not merely, and don't you dare for a minute get crossways in your spirit and bow up like a bullfrog on this one. Because I've taught holiness for weeks. But your righteousness is not merely revealed in holiness. Because you can have a dress dragging the floor and hair that's 20 feet long and still not be holy. But... 
but the righteous, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. I want co-workers to find life when they talk to me. I want family to find life when they talk to me. I want neighbors to want to talk to me because upon the tree that I am in my walk with God, somehow there's a fruit. Even when I have a bad day, there's life on the branches. Even when I don't feel good, there's a life on the branches because when I don't feel good from the ground up, honey, my roots are drinking from an eternal source. This is why you need to talk in tongues every day. This is why you need to be full of the Holy Ghost every day. For out of your belly shall flow a river of water that brings forth life. Hallelujah. Now I'm talking about tongues and God. I'm not talking about this this human tongue that our flesh gets familiar with. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm not talking about this, this, this tongue that mimics the tongue of the spirit. Hey, but you know what I'm talking about. You can get down to pray and your mind starts wondering about what's for dinner or how much is in the checking account, but your tongue starts speaking. Amen. Because it's learned to mimic that flow of the Holy Ghost. You see, if you're not careful, you'll live by dangerous cisterns. Amen. That will run dry. And Jesus and the word of God said that God, God cursed Israel because they had hewn out to themselves cisterns, which are vessels that they would store water in. And God said, you weren't supposed to make cisterns. You were supposed to have a flow of that river because cisterns allow bacteria and cisterns can go dry but it is that true flow of a river that keeps things new and renewed. This is why Paul would say, be you therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. You've got to have a renewing of the Holy Ghost every day. You've got to let the waters of the Holy Ghost, that's why the Bible says you are saved by the washing and the regenerating of your mind. Because the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Most of y'all didn't even know that that was connected to the verse that we so take out of context. He that winneth souls is wise. Why did he say that? That the tree of life is the fruit of the righteous and he that winneth souls is wise. Number one, we have tried our best and sometimes we have a fraudulent slip of the tongue when we say, Go be a soul winner because that's not what the Bible told us to do as new believers. We're not soul winners around here. Let me back that up. We are soul winners in a respect, but Jesus didn't call us to be soul winners. He called us to be disciple makers. And the church has lost her responsibility in thinking that God called us to win souls. That's not what that scripture meant. That scripture contextually simply means that the, tr the tree of life, amen, the tree of life, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. In other words, it'd be like me saying it's, it, it's, easier to get you, it, it's, it's easier to get flies with honey rather than vinegar. That's basically what this whole scripture is saying. That if you want friends, have fruit. That's all it's saying. And if you want the right friends, you better have the Right fruit. The reason why some folks get rotten friends is because they got rotten fruit. Scavengers don't eat fresh fruit. 
Say, Pastor, I got a lot of scavengers in my life because you got rotten fruit. You need to prune the vine and let the Holy Ghost get some new fruit in you. I don't want vultures on my vines. I want doves. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Now, that's the only script. Now, now I, I say that because I'm not trying to be controversial, but we have tried our best to take out of our jargon the idea that God has called us to win souls because that is not what that scripture meant. It said, be kind, let your righteousness bear fruit, that you can win friends. The mission of the church is not a man to win souls. The mission of the church, Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. That's what we're trying to do, is make disciples. Getting a friend is easy. Making a disciple is hard. Having a friend is as easy as being able to cook good food and have good conversation. Making a disciple is taking a 2 a.m. phone call because they're struggling with an addiction. You thought they got over. Making a disciple is taking a phone call at 9 p.m. when you're trying to have family time and that new believer, that new disciple amen, is sitting in the driveway of an ex that they're about to go mess up with and you got to walk them down off the ledge. You see winning a friend is easy. Making a disciple is a lifetime effort because when you make a disciple, you got to know how to change diapers. you got to know how to help them walk. you got to help them walk in there. It's not as simple as saying come over to my house for a connect group. Amen. That, that's just winning the soul. But if you want to make a disciple. It takes an investment of effort and time and patience and love and long suffering and kindness and gentleness and meekness sounds to me like you need the fruit of the spirit to make a disciple. Amen. I'll move on. We've sold the mission of the church short. Because our idea of evangelism is handing somebody a church card. That's an introduction. That's not evangelism. We need the introduction. Evangelism is making a disciple. Is that all right? Amen. Good, because it's in the book. It's very important to note that the leaves, the trees have leaves and fruit. Luke chapter 13 and verses 6 through 9 says, and listen to this very closely. I'm trying. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm I'm trying to land this plane. Um, I'm, I'm 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 further than halfway there. Okay, uh, Luke chapter thirteen and verses six through nine. Y'all are so patient. I, I, and that's what I love about our churches. Amen. We love the Word of God. We love the preach Word of God. And I know some people. Some people get they don't like this. They probably won't last in a church like this where we like the Word. They they like to go where they get fifteen minute sermonettes for Christianettes, driving Corvettes, smoking cigarettes. But right around here, we're the people of God that we love. Of the word. We don't veg out. Hey, we don't we don't get 15 minutes of word and feel satisfied and go watch four hours of Netflix. We'd rather have four hours of word. Amen. Because because we're we're not we're not building a social community of people that we're, we're building the church of the living God's what we're building. Amen. Now I'm not going to keep you four hours, but he also spake, Luke 13 and 6 through 9, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, this is the master, the owner of the vineyard speaking. He says, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it to the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. 
Y'all know what dung is? If somebody says no, I'm going to tell you what dung is. It's feces. It's oh oh in Tagalog. It's caca in Spanish. It's poop. There ain't no polite way to say it. He said, Lord, be patient with this tree. I'm going to dig around. And I'm going to fill it with mess. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after, thou shalt cut it down. Some of y'all get so mad at God when life stinks. That you don't even realize it was the mercy of God that didn't cut you down. But God loved you enough to dig around the roots. But God, it stinks. No, that's the mercy of God. I know you're in a stinky situation, got a stinky job, stinky relationships, a stinking car, a stinking house, stinking bank account, stinking everything. But it is the goodness of God that digs around the root system and says, I'm going to put some stuff in your You ain't going to like the way it smells. It's going to make you uncomfortable. But if you'll just be patient with the process, I'll take the funk and I'll make something out of you. I'll put some mess in your life and then I will mess you up so that I can bear fruit on your branches. But no, we get mad at God and say, no, God, well, well, Lord, if you love me, I wouldn't have this stink in my life. The only reason why he's putting that mess in your life is because you ain't got no fruit. If he didn't love you, he'd cut you down. He'd cut you off. You'd be lost as a one-week geese in a hurricane if he didn't love you. But he loved you enough to dig around the roots and go, go get some mess and pour it around the root system and let that fertilizer sink down in there. And it's unpleasant for a season. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, but when that season passes... Boy, ain't it just like God to take a whole bunch of mess that's why people when they say hey, I'm going to go to that church there's all kinds of problems in that church that church stinks and I'm going to tell you what the ark was full of mess when it started raining but there wasn't a better alternative on the planet I'd a whole lot rather put up with a little bit of stink to be saved isn't it, isn't it funny how God works? I mean, man has tried everything we can. Brother Clifton works with trees and all that kind of stuff all the time. We got all kinds of chemicals we've come up with. All kinds of, all kinds of uh, man synthetic, uh, uh, synthesized different formulas and chemicals that'll try to make a rose bush bloom early and a tomato vine be able to bring bigger fruit. Amen. But he'll tell you as quick as anybody else that knows anything about gardening to tell you, you can save yourself the money buying those high-end miracle Grow products and you just find yourself a cow pasture or a chicken coop and you go put that, that funky stuff on the the root system and in just a few weeks you're going to see blooming like you know now I'm going to tell you it ain't going to be attractive at first As a matter of fact it's going to be repulsive at first but if you'll just give a little bit of time God knows what he's doing 
See, see, God will let a little bit of sickness in your life when you get out of line because he needs some fruit in you. God will let some false brethren walk into your life and let you embrace them because you need some fruit in you. God will all of a sudden let, let a good boss transfer out of that job and let a bad boss get in there because what he's trying to get you to realize is in my weakness is he made strong. He's trying to let a little bit of stuff get in my life so he can put some fruit on my branches. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible has interesting things to say about trees with no fruit. It gives us a message about how Christ feels about a fruitless tree. It gives us an idea about how God feels about a fruitless Christian. About those that profess God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They got a whole lot of they got a whole lot of greenery, got a whole lot of shrubbery, but ain't got no fruit. God, God ain't raising you up so you can be a shrub. He's, he's raising you up to bear fruit and your leaves will be medicine and healing to the nation and your fruit will be an extension of his life to others. Let me try to land this. Amen. All right, it's 8.07. I don't know what time I started. Deuteronomy 20 and 19. Thank you, Sister Kelly, but everybody's looking at you with daggers right now. I'm just kidding. Deuteronomy 20 and 19 through 20. Now, I want, I want you to see. Now, now God, listen, do y'all think this stuff just randomly happened over the span of a few thousand years? Or did God know what he was doing? Listen to what God said about trees, uh, about non-fruit bearing trees. I want you to pay close attention to the wording of this. Deuteronomy 20 and 19 through 20. When thou besiege a city a long time in making war against it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them. In other words, don't you cut them down because you may need to eat from them to get strength. Amen. For the tree of the field is a man's life to employ them in a siege only the trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for me. Thou shalt destroy and cut them down and thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it be subdued. In other words, he said, when you are about to win a victory, when you are surrounding a city and you besiege that city, he said, don't you cut down any tree that has fruit on it or the promise of bearing fruit. But what you do is you go cut down them trees that are not bearing fruit or that cannot bear fruit and you build a bulwark against that city so that you might conquer. Can I tell you this right now? Dead trees in your life are ammunition for the enemy to besiege a victory in your life. If you have trees that are not producing fruit, it is an avenue for the enemy of your soul to cut it down and use it against you because you profess God here but don't have it on the branches, the enemy has a way of saying, you say you're a believer, you say you're born again, let me just cut this down and use against you your duplicity and hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but I want the only fruit, amen, the only trees to be in my field are the ones that are bearing fruit from the goodness of God. Amen. And, and then in Revelations 21, amen, 23, John the Revelator says in the city, everybody say the city. 
Now we're going back now. That was about the tree. Now let's go back to the city. He said, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. Jesus is that light. And after showing us that we change into his image by beholding his face in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, amen, says the light of knowledge in the face of Jesus shines in our hearts. It is no coincidence that many trees of life stand in that four squared city. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, but we all with open face beholding as in in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, for God who hath commanded, or God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. And just as Jesus is the light for us, when we get to heaven in that built, that, that city that is built for square, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, amen, Jesus is going to be the light of that city because emanating from the throne of the Lamb is the river of life. In that city, there shall be no shadow of turning. In that city, there shall be no darkness for the Lamb is the light. It is the water emanating from the throne of God that gives water to sustain the trees of life on either side of the river. But it is also the light that flows from the throne of the Lamb that is Jesus Christ that gives that tree the ability to bear fruit in the city that is built for square. Amen. If you want light, amen, it comes through Jesus Christ. If you want fruit, you better have the flow of the Holy Ghost in your life and the revelation of God and that is the light through his word. John chapter 12 and verses 20 through 26. I'll read them quick. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. They, the same therefore came to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto ever to life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am there shall there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will I him will my father honor. In other words, Jesus said, if this tree is going to bear fruit first, amen, first this thing's got to die and be put into the ground the only way for your life to have fruit is you got to let your nature die every day be put in the ground we might as well die and I'm not talking about a physical death you want people to see Jesus let your ego die let your pride die let your own philosophies die and let Jesus shine a light through his word that emanates the radiant glory of God into the soil that God plants you into that will bring forth fruit. 
You see, the light that shines, it changes us into his image. It changes us into his image. See, a, a seed turns into a tree. You can look at a tree and you can estimate scientifically about how much fruit that seed, that tree is going to produce over a lifetime. But you cannot look at a seed and determine how many trees or how much fruit will come from that seed. Amen. When Jesus spoke of this, he spoke of him being the vine and we being the branches, many people, that one branch, amen, that resurrected, amen, it became that resurrected tree, it became that resurrected rod as if it were Aaron, Aaron's rod, the rod of Levi, Levi in the tabernacle of the oracle, the tabernacle of the wilderness, the holy of holies, that, that, that little room in the tabernacle of God that was four square. Now I want you to watch this. I'm almost done. The city of God is four square cubed just like the room in which Aaron's rod that blossomed was. If you would, it was a small scale model, Brother Chase. You guys see this. It was just a small cube big enough for the Ark of the Covenant the bowl of manna, the budding rod of Aaron, the mercy seat, and the law of God. Just big enough for that. And the priest to minister in. And that little cube. As if it were, God used that as a small scale model. And just as you shine light behind something, to project it larger. So did God shine his light. Through his glory. In that oracle room. In the tabernacle of the testimony. His light shined through. Penetrating the darkness of that room even when the veil had been sealed shut on it. For thousands of years that veil was sealed three foot thick is what most scholars and most uh, rabbinical historians say. It was a three foot thick veil that no man could go into except God allowed him in there. God had to somehow miraculously pick up that priest, amen, and transmit him through that veil because you couldn't lift it. You couldn't open it. That veil had no opening top to bottom, side to Side. There was no opening. When God accepted that priest, Sister Cynthia, he then lifted him and he transferred him through that veil into that holy of holies, into that room that was four square. And in there, the only light was the light of the golden candlesticks that shines that the, that the priest may minister before the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And that light, that light shined for thousands of years uh, until one day on Golgotha's hill and on Calvary's rugged cross, uh, there hung, there hung the bleeding broken body of my Savior and when he lifted his voice and gurgled out his final words, it is finished. The Bible said the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom and the light that had been locked in was now let out. The light that had been held in was now let out and now we see some 70 years later in the book of Revelations we see that light projecting up into the city of the 
new Jerusalem. It is a city that is built for a square whose builder and maker is God. Oh, I feel like shouting here tonight. Brother Lucas, if you'll come, I've got a few more pages, but I'm going to wrap it up because it was the design of God. He started with it here in a little tabernacle of the wilderness that was, that was built with, with bad, covered with badger skins. When non-Semitic or non-Jewish people walked by that tabernacle in the wilderness, they only looked twice to say, what a hideous place. But what they did not know is when that priest was transmitted into that room that was built for a square. The Bible said the Shekinah glory of God set upon that room like a pillar. It was like smoke descending upon it. And the Bible said everyone opened the flaps of their tent and they faced the tabernacle and they worshiped. One of these days, I'm going to walk past a gate fashioned out of a single pearl upon streets of transparent gold into a city where the Lamb is the light. And he that thirsteth, let him come. And there will be a tree of life and leaves for the healing of the nations when brother fought against brother and nation against nation. And on that day when they are saved from every tongue, tribe, and kindred, there will be no more flags that separate our humanity and nationality on that day. On that day. Germans that were saved and Jews that were saved would take of the tree of life and his leaves shall heal the the hurt of the Holocaust. Ukrainian people that are saved and Russian people that are saved will step to the river of life and that tree will get life and those leaves will bring healing. Because he is the vine and we are the branches. And just as the smoke descended the Shekinah glory of God over the tabernacle, that four square room. So the light of his glory shall radiate. And just as the people of the wilderness opened their tents and magnified God, there we will stand through ages long singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Blessed is the Lamb of God. Folks, you are connected. The Bible also calls this city the city of refuge. It's the city of refuge. It's a place where we're going to step to an eternity and we're going to lay all our troubles down. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more hurt. Over there, that four square city 
we will see the fulfillment of it from the time it had been projected in the wilderness. And here's where I want to close. Somewhere between its origin and its fulfillment stands the church of the living God. And we are to be the city of refuge in this world. We are to have the fruit that gives life and leaves that give healing. And out of us is to flow His Spirit. And until that day, we step over into the fulfillment. We are a projection of what He started. Would you stand with me tonight? I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I, I wish I had time to go through it all, but I feel, I feel the touch of God in this place right now. John said to he that thirst, let him come. If you're hungry, come and dine. If you're not well, come and take leaves for medicine. In this house, in this holy place that we've designated as the house of God should flow rivers of healing and life. And I don't know what you're going through this evening. I don't know what you've been going through this week. Maybe the last two days have been the best day on your life. Best days, maybe the last two months has been hell on earth. I've come to tell you, you are in the right place because I feel the waters of the Spirit of God flowing. I hear the leaves of healing rustling in this room right now. I see the fruit swinging to give sustenance in this place right now. And if you would, just where you are, slip your hands up to heaven because it's flowing in this place for you right now because you are the branches that are reconnected to the vine. If you need a healing, if you need a touch in your life, I want you to come on down to this altar right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. We don't have to belabor this. Some of you can feel that drawing in your soul right now. Amen. Fresh waters, fresh rivers of water are flowing into this house. You're at the end of the year. Big decisions are coming up professionally. Amen. And personally. Amen. And, and, and you're confused. I need you to just come take a drink of that water that flows. Amen. You're weary. You feel famished in your soul. Come and eat of the fruit. Your spirit and your mind is wounded. You're confused. you got sickness in your body. Amen. Come and take the leaves. Amen. Therefore, you're healing right now. Just take a few moments and begin to pray in tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance right now. Don't you let those carnal tongues go out. Let the Holy Ghost well up in you like a river. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.